0: Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations Podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO kundalini yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and as always, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and for sharing it with others. As I always do, I begin the podcast with reading the intentions for why I started this podcast. Number one, to break the veil of silence that has long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO kundalini yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught kundalini yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from this community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant, and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle and the overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number ten, to honor each and every body that has come through this community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, to process their own emotions, to get somatic therapy and cult-specific therapy, as well as other support as needed, to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please also remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. I want to welcome today's guest. His name is Ravi Singh, and he began practicing kundalini yoga in 1973 and lived in the 3HO ashram in Chicago, Illinois. In 1974, he moved to New York City to be a writer and continued to practice kundalini yoga and began teaching. In the late 70s, He had a brief stint as a resident of the 3HO ashram in Brooklyn, New York. He attended every single summer solstice and winter solstice gathering from 1976 to 2000. And before 1999 would typically teach kundalini yoga at those solstice events. In 1999, he discovered that Yogi Bhajan, YB, had propositioned one of his students at women's camp. That was when the floodgates opened and the scope of what was going on behind the scenes became abundantly clear to him. When he attempted to alert people, he was summarily kicked out of 3HO. His state of mind since then has been one of personal liberation, relief that he doesn't have to continue to try to be someone that he's not. It's become more obvious over time that there's no room in an organization like 3HO for artists, autonomous beings, or independent thinkers. Ravi Singh is an author with his partner, Anna Brett, of the Kundalini Yoga book, Life in the Vast Lane. He's been teaching yoga for 45 years. He is a founder of Evolving Kundalini, which was created via the need for a safe space for Kundalini Yoga teachers to gather and process. Ek or EK, which again stands for Evolving Kundalini, is now a nonprofit dedicated to ethics in yoga and the forward evolution and the un- up leveling of all things Kundalini. Man, I'm so excited to have you here, Ravi.
1: Thank you, Guru Nishan. It's great to be here.
0: Um, I just want to preface this that when I started teaching Kundalini yoga as a part of my own healing and repair after the loss of my business in 2012, I quickly saw your Content online, and you and Anna had lots of different Kundalini yoga videos. I was in the midst, this is like 2012, 2013, I was in the midst of in, unentangling my spiritual self and my sexual self, and realizing that the inside mess um, was way more messy than I had um, understood in terms of my identity. So when I started teaching Kundalini yoga, I really appreciated what felt like a very rebel spirit of this video group that I found called. <laughs> (laughs) Ravi and Anna, doing these, you know, Anna would have these beautiful, she would be the poser, like she would be doing the Kundalini yoga pose on the video while maybe Ravi was narrating. And again, I didn't know you, I didn't know your backstory. I just really appreciated that there felt like, oh, this is different than 3HO. And you know, 3HO doesn't like these people, whatever they're doing. So thank you for being here. And I consider you an OG of this conversation because you go way back.
1: Well, thank you. I just want to say that Anna's a dancer, I'm a poet, so we're just being ourselves, and, you know, that's what people need to be empowered to be.
0: It's so good, and I, I really hope we get to unfold in this conversation more about that, because I know that process of evolving to who I am here to be was literally the unentangling process that I now know was Cult recovery or trauma recovery process, um, but I didn't know it back then. I just only had the mystical spiritual language that I had been given from Kundalini Yoga um, as taught by Yogi Bhajan and 3HO and that whole sect. So um, first of all, as starting, I want to just ask, why do you feel it's important to come and tell your story on the podcast?
1: Well, I, I feel very strongly about a number of things in terms of my experience with Kundalini Yoga. That was my main focus from day one um I it's important for people to realize the impact it had on so many people's lives I have been doing hatha yoga and TM and when I when I took my first Kundalini yoga class it was just amazing it was like a bolt from the blue there was nothing like it so that was very powerful so I did live in the ashram and my first yoga teacher Tarn Taran Singh was quite dynamic quite amazing and he left 3HO very soon you know within you know six months after I I moved in and he would never tell me why he left, but I it was the first inkling I had that something was up. So, even though my focus was the yoga itself and that was my real concern I couldn't help but notice that there was um, a dark side to this and You know, years later, I found out that he left because he found out even then, in 1973, that Yogi Bhajan was not living his private life the way he was being portrayed publicly. And, um, you know, it also became obvious to me that the best and the brightest would typically leave, and that was quite alarming to me. So I'd like to talk about some of the red flags I encountered along the way, Uh, and the first well that was the first red flag him leaving you know so suddenly and you know it started a process with me, you know as to why why would he do that, you know. Um, The second the second real red flag was in solstice around 1977 or maybe 79 I went to to see yogi bhajan at winter solstice just to talk to him i walk into the ashram where he's staying um i think it was orlando and he is sitting there with his staff watching straight up porn and that um kind of blew my mind you know so my part of me said well you know cable just started there just you know surfing and whatever you know it's just checking out the novelty of whatever and but another part of me just said this, this is this isn't right there's something going on here um another red flag late 70s. Uh, winter solstice There is someone named uh, job Singh who made this really great newsletter about how. The dynamics and self help groups, including spiritual groups. Are very similar to this dysfunctional dynamics in families, and it was really well thought out article and I thought really valuable so he went he went and put one of his newsletters in front of everyone's tent. You know 15 minutes later I see grew Singh, who's you know one of yogi bhajan's henchmen is, if you will confiscating the newsletters. And I said oh my God it's the thought police here, I mean what is going on and um that was quite alarming to me mm. um and then of course you know there are always the rumors over the years of him you know I didn't live in LA I wasn't had no first-hand experience but the rumors of him sleeping with his staff and sometime in the 80s um and I'm going to say her name because um this was publicly stated she told us this to a group um Sat Simran who is famous for leading tantrics, and one was one of his first, um, quote unquote, secretaries. Told us um, a, a group of people that um, she had been having an affair with Yogi Bhajan, and it wasn't a problem until she found out it was she wasn't the only one, and then it was a problem. So that you know was a big red flag for me, I mean what's going on here, I mean still in my mind you know consenting adults and whatever it's none of my business, but it just was a kind of. Um, brick in the wall of, of this construct that was being built that kind of uh, alerted me to the fact that something's going on, and of course there was business dealings along the way that were really weird um
0: let's pause there i wanted to ask about that that separate conversation where did she say it publicly like it was a group of you all like in what context
1: summer solstice um
0: in in what year do you know
1: i believe um it was early 80s probably 82 82
0: okay okay i mean it could have
1: been could have been earlier but um which is ironic because when the yogi bhajan revelations happened she sent a letter to everyone saying how shocked she was to hear about the the allegations and you know she was part of it since the very beginning and it was you know the i was told that yogi Bhajan, quote unquote left her white tantric that that would became her quote unquote property or brand right. and so she was simply trying to you know preserve her um
0: her asset
1: yeah her asset exactly and so um that that level of dishonesty was just really something to see i mean i was you're talking was,
0: about when she came out in 2020 with that letter Yes,
1: exactly yeah.
0: it was so disappointing to see most right. people's responses at that time right. but it, they were they were just full of nothing basically like how do you go back so many years and have nothing to say on this
1: right i mean some of the main teachers you know express their outrage and shock but they 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 had to know There was, as you said before they had to know and so i mean and i I do want to say though that even though we kind of knew there was no one to tell because anyone in 3ho that you would you would express doubts to you know you were you were attacked you were like basically you know canceled or marginalized or demonized so you know and there's that
0: I think it's such an important thing to remember because a culture that creates that kind of insular environment that it's like who do you tell even if you leave and you go tell it's like that ha- like the time magazine article happened in 1977 people did tell and people did right. go public and yet every time you're trained more and more not to look not right. to go look at it and so it's such a i don't doubt that someone like Asat Simrin simran or any of these early leaders do believe they didn't see it because they went through so many compacted layers of cognitive dissonance of right. seeing and then having to unsee in order to survive like to me i see almost that i almost see that as a survival mechanism
1: i, I it, call it a cult bubble you know when you're a cult in, bubble <laughs> right, when you're in the bubble you know the outside world kind of falls away and um it's interesting you know the tentacles are so you know far-reaching i mean i was most of my life i was living in new york and i was still um to a big extent in that bubble you know even though i was a rebel even though i was you know independent i was still affected by it and um looking back you know um it you know it was wo- it was woven into everyone in a way
0: There's no way it cannot be. I think that's what's so important about seeing what cult identity is. Like, it's not not you. It's just layered on you, right? Right. So to undo it, it's almost like plaster, like chipping away at plaster to be like, where am I in there? And so you talking about the autonomous beings, the creative thinkers, these layers of us are still there. They just get coded. And then you have to like rediscover them almost when you break free.
1: Right. I remember when I stopped wearing a turban in 1999, I literally thought I was going to be hit by lightning. You know, like I didn't, (laughs) I did not know what was going to happen. I thought I was betraying myself or someone or something. Um, And then I realized it's a big world out there and it's going to be okay. Mm.
0: Mm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I had stopped you. You were talking about moving into the business dealings. I just wanted to clarify what you're talking about because you know, she was a prominent figure she was one of the main secretaries right and so again to not have some of these early voices. It's um, you're pointing out something that I think are is on the hearts of many people.
1: And um, so you know there was, I mean, there's a lot, you know, the phone rooms that they had in LA I kind of knew people that were involved in that, and they were practicing blatant dishonesty I mean we know that, but how you know in my mind, how Yogi Bhajan could allow that to happen. I mean, he was not only allowing it, he was promoting it, he was instigating it. And I could never figure out what, you know, what is going on here. Um, so I was, I always had my doubts, and that's why I always kept myself a little bit apart. Again, the focus, my focus was the yoga, and I was serious about that. It helped people. I believed in it. I also understood that kundalini yoga exists in a wider context than just yogi bhajan and that was helpful and I was able to connect a lot of dots and since his passing even more dots so um you know it is a a thing and it is real it, it has historic precedence and um if he would have invented it solely by himself and just pulled it out of thin air that would be a problem but I think that um it's bigger than that. And there's no way that one person could have created a system so vast.
0: Well, I, I would like to this conversation to, to lead us there, because I think it's a really important and necessary one. I've had a lot of my former students as well as for teachers, you know, reach out to me seeking help in this detangling, questioning, pulling things apart process. And I'm not available to that, you know, that's I'm on my process. And so I just kind of have sent them to groups like yours, the Facebook groups or the different things where there are groups of people gathering to connect dots and to kind of look at what's real, what's not, yada, yada, especially when it comes to mantras and all the things. Um, So I would like to go to that, especially because there is a, a narrative that says there isn't the history of kundalini yoga. There's a history of kundalini energy. And so I want people to be able to hear this conversation we have today And then look at your own research, start looking into these yourself, like start having an experience of what it means to detangle this within your body and within your experience with this, because that's all that we all have to do. That's what the unique process of, of recovering ourselves from any cult experience. It's not just a Kundalini conversation. I think the conversation is a larger conversation and We need people like you that are actively kind of doing historical research to try to connect dots, to make sense of what doesn't make any sense. Um, But if you don't mind, I want you to stay in like you're in the 70s or the 80s and kind of keep moving us through kind of your awakening and moving out process before we get to that conversation, because I feel like you're sharing with us your duplicity like I loved the Kundalini yoga, it worked for me, right? You had these great experiences. And simultaneously you're looking around and seeing things, having also other experiences that are like, that's not good. That doesn't add up. And this is all while you're committed to being a teacher, committed to the to the lifestyle in whatever capacity. So keep us there and and evolve us to today.
1: Well first of all, I was finding my way as a human being and I had a number of long-term relationships, but I wasn't married. And that was a problem, so I got branded as a kind of womanizer or whatever, and um, it was simply because I was, you know, a regular person trying to find their way, Um, and like everyone else, you know, a lot of fits and starts and whatever, but I felt that, you know, to be a complete human being, you can't leave any stone unturned, so I just was a regular person trying to find my balance and that was the
0: problem can i ask you in the context of 3ho does that mean at that time you were wearing a turban you were living 3ho lifestyle but you weren't being celibate right having whatever sexual relations you chose right um did you play what what has kind of exposed itself as like the kundalini yoga teacher celebrity holy man guy you know like meaning in that role of kundalini yoga teachers a lot of men did become womanizers my dad being one of them but a lot of them were married and they were still being womanizers some were single and being womanizers what I hear you saying is I was just being a sexual being that I am and making choices
1: right no I never um I just was a regular person you know with in in relationship with people with women um and you know that was it basically I never um used my teaching status as a platform to meet or date women um i i didn't have to because you know i was involved in the writing scene in new york and all that so you know um i i sort of kept those things separate
0: so you had your kind of life of your other interests and you also right. did do yoga but you weren't like full-on gung-ho seek dharma you were right. just in the yoga scene of that 3ho world
1: Yeah, and I never took Sikh vows, because, like you, I I was born in the Jewish tradition, and that tradition, the word vow is very serious, you know, and I, um, the reason I never took Sikh vows, even though I love everything about Sikhism, I mean, I was basically, except for not being married, living the lifestyle, you know, um,
0: like vegetarian wearing a turban not cutting your hair like all the yogic lifestyle things just not like a Sikh path per se
1: but you know a to me a religion is a is problematic because you're being asked to adhere to a certain ethos and set of rules that um may may or may not apply to your own life I mean I mean in a broad scope they are we want to live by the 10 commandments and all that but but um basically you're being asked to be part of a a tribe that may or may not resonate with your personal process and that to me that and my experience of sikhism was the 3ho and you know i i knew that this is not what i wanted to be i don't want to be like them so if this is proof of concept i'm not I'm not down with that so that that's kind of where I was at that's why I never became a Sikh per se. Okay. Um, even though I I love the the whole tradition it's great. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's see in. So I was always sort of you know um, my doubts were mounting but the yoga was my focus and I was geographically you know over in New York so I wasn't in the thick of it, but then in 1990 I would typically. You know um ask women students to go to women's camp i thought it was great you know and then 1999 a student calls me from women's camp and says he wants me to work for him and i said oh that's great you know you'll get to learn all this great stuff and she said you don't understand he wants me to be his mistress he wants me he he said he wants to empty out a trailer you know in in espanola And have that be you know the place that we meet and she laughed she laughed that day that moment I said, I told her I said just leave so she called up a car service and went to the airport and. um, In fact, one time she called me from his car he I don't know if he was in it, but she called anyways a lot of stuff was going on and. So half hour after I told her to leave one of his secretaries calls me and says, have you heard from so and so, and I lied and said no and. Um, and then, so that that was really disturbing to me, so I called. Um, someone I know who was his head of security someone who's since left and who's really well known um, and told her about it, and she revealed that she had been, you know, involved with him for a very long time, and a lot of the stuff that happened, and that was really, I mean, you know, you know the stories.
0: Are you talking about Wah?
1: Yeah. Yes. Kind of I'm um, going to say
0: it because she's she's public, and I'm going to make sure right. that we she's talk about
1: publicly it. Uh, written about this anyway. So it was Wah, and. Um, I remember I met Juan in New York at a restaurant and um, just laid it out and that that was it you know so um I um I called someone else I know in 3 ho who I thought I could trust and I just bared my soul and she called Yogi Bhajan and uh so then his you know are they
0: still uh, in 3 ho that person
1: yes I think so I think so uh, I felt really betrayed by that, by the way, because I it was, you know, I told her all this in confidence, and then um, let's see, Namkar called me, who was the head of IKYTA or KRI or something, and mm-hmm. said he wants to see you, meaning Yogi Bhajan, and I said, well, I'm not ready. I need to process all this. I just I need some time, and she said, well, it says in the bylaws that if he wants to see you, have to go, and I said well, I'm not, I don't agree with that. That's ridiculous. You know? Um, and she said, well, you're out. And that, that was it. That's how I got kicked out of three Ho. Um, Whoa. And this is
0: 1999.
1: Right. And I actually, um, went to solstice in, uh, 2000. I don't know why I did, but I did. And, um, I met with Yogi Bhajan one-on-one on one in a room and uh I didn't say anything I didn't we just made small talk I didn't feel there was I just I felt that there's nothing to say you know there's just nothing to say um I think he was relieved actually that I didn't bring it up but that was kind of and then in 2001 um I brought Anna or maybe it was 2000 to something i brought anna to a day of tantric in new mexico i wanted her to experience of that and uh um you know we were really uh ostracized and whatever i mean that was it was obvious you know we were persona non grata so that was um
0: so hold on of- you arrive at the solstice like summer solstice to go yeah. to summer solstice with anna and it's just like full on public ostracization
1: oh, oh yeah 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 I mean you know some people were were nice but you know the the people the the his staff and many many people were just completely freaked out by my presence
0: Mm. and just stonewalling not talking to you or yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: it's kind of like full ignoring and it's it's really a horrible manipulative tactic where it's like one day you can be revered and elified and then the next day you're shunned and you're publicly humiliated and, and you're talked about in public spaces yeah. everyone knows who they're talking about and it's just it's a form of de-edifying and, sh- and public shaming that happens it's such normalcy in 3ho it's wild
1: and i do feel that before that and definitely after that i've been monitored heavily monitored by 3ho just kind of trying to you know, see if I'm saying anything or whatever. And um, I know that I've been, you know, that the quote unquote Ravi Singh problem has been heavily discussed in the higher levels of 3HO for a long time.
0: Yeah, and let's pause there because you're talking about 1999 that you get kicked out. And what you're talking about is that within the KRI, which is Kundalini Research Institute, the 3HO, the that whole, all these entities are monitoring your work um, I'm guessing probably like on this like uh, intellectual property copyright stuff.
1: That, that, and just um, everything else, everything else. Mm-hmm. Just the worry that I'm going to spill the beans even more. And again, even after I was kicked out, there was no one to really talk to. There's no one to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be a whistleblower, there was no one to whistleblow to because either no one would believe you or, um, they would just um have no frame of reference at all for what you're talking about you know people I mean people were hypnotized to the extent that if they walked into a room and saw Yogi Bhajan in bed with someone they would not be able to to see it they would not there was no place in their psyche for that just like when I walked into that room and saw him you know with the porn um At that time, there was no place in my psyche to put that. So I had to just kind of follow it away and just take note of it, but there's no place to really put it.
0: Yeah, so well said, so well said. That's what cognitive dissonance is, folks. It's when you have one conflicting thing holding space with a completely opposite thing. And like when you use this language, there's nowhere for that in my psyche. That's quite literally ex- exactly what's happening in our brains and bodies. And so I, I, I really appreciate you pointing this out at that time because I think it's so easy to think, why didn't people say something? And yet, in fact, people did. Right. In fact, people did leave and talk about things. But like you said, who do you tell? Who do you talk to? You
1: know, I, I asked myself, you know. Should I just make a blanket announcement to students about Yogi Bhajan? And the I really prayed over this. And the answer I got was. No, it's not time yet that that you don't want to destroy people's innocence or give them doubts because their their intention is pure their practice is pure and um, my personal policy was if someone sort of knew stuff I would verify it Um, but I wouldn't just tell people who didn't already know because I don't think you know in many instances they could handle it or again have a place to put it they had to sort of arrive at that or be open enough to receive it
0: And you're talking about between say 99 when all this happened or 2000 forward as you're trying to navigate your teaching space not necessarily now but that time frame right
1: but yeah but if someone came to me with doubts or had an inkling or whatever or said i read this you know this article i would say yes where there's smoke there's fire yes it's true Mm -hmm. i would never of course deny it i would i would verify it for people but I wouldn't tell them unless they came to me first.
0: And I want to just pause and ask, is this a part, was this a part of your own process of figuring out? Like, this is where you said, I prayed on this. Like what it felt like to me is you as a teacher knowing, okay, I've had an experience. I've witnessed people have life-changing experiences with this practice. And what is my responsibility? What do, what burden do I bear here? And what is, where do I insert kind of thing? and, and, I heard discernment is what I heard, like you needing to really say how much needs to be disclosed when is it a blatant announcement or does that start a fire in a way that's not where the way that people get access to what is here?
1: Yeah, I've been wrestling with that, you know, for the last 20 years and I kind of still am. And, you know, I I need I needed to um, differentiate. On one hand, you have people who are doing spiritual work and working on themselves, on the other hand, you have um, this organization that's corrupt and you know where where's the overlap and most of the people, you know that I encounter are not have nothing to do with the organization so and, and in New York most of my students never did so you know there was that and. Uh, I'm still kind of wrestling with what my responsibility is, and what I've come to is you know to do what I'm doing, support people, you know be honest and be direct, and also help people understand that the spiritual work is not enough. you need to do the the psychological work as well along with the work It's so easy to sidestep our our issues you know um, but and so i've I've become very interested in the Jungian archetypes and that kind of, you know, the shadow work, basically, that I think that in concert with um, Kundalini Yoga, it's the perfect balance, but you need to work on that level as well.
0: I don't disagree. I didn't know what shadow work or what the Jungian philosophy was. But in 2012, when I went through my own dark night of the soul, as they call it, which essentially my life just was a disaster. And I knew myself as a beautiful enough soul to say, this is for me and I don't know what, what that means. And so to do that level of inner spiritual work, I discovered kind of quite innately and naturally, Oh, you know, I have to lean into the parts that I'm, you know, most repulsed by or feel the most um, buzz of anger around. Right. Cause I realized, Oh, there's, there's debris here for me. And later on, maybe four years later, I learned, Oh, that's called shadow work. So this concept of what you're talking about, that doing the inner spiritual work, where does this intersect with a toxic organization that is um, propagating and propelling stuff that is harmful and hurtful? And you know, in what way do you cast out a broad warning? In what ways do you warn people along the way as students or teachers, or even a guide of people along their spiritual journey? I appreciate your vulnerability in saying you wrestle with that because it is an ongoing evolving question I could presume.
1: Yes, and you know, <laughs> the purpose of kundalini yoga is to help people be autonomous beings, and so the it's interest are ironic that in three ho that was discouraged that anytime you stepped out to be an autonomous being you were you were they tried to contain and control you. Uh, and to me, you know that was just highly problematic. Um, And it's interesting that kundalini yoga is supposed it's supposed to be the yoga of awareness and awareness means that you're able to see things the way they are but as soon as you start started to see things how they were you were made to doubt yourself and uh i i saw that time and time again so you know i do want to say that the you know the way that kri has monetized and commoditized kundalini yoga flies in the face of what it's meant to be and the way they train teachers is to sort of you know um grow the brand but not it's not 3ho style kundalini yoga is not for the formation of autonomous beings it's to simply grow the brand and um I realized that around the late '70s is when I began to realize that that that's what was going on. Before that, it was different, you know. Uh, Kundalini yoga started off as a kind of, um, you know, this incredible thing that happened in that hippies embraced because it was a way to, you know, get high without drugs. It was a way to sort of, you know. Uh, Expand your consciousness and all that. But then in the late 70s, something happened and Kundalini Yoga and 3HO became a brand. And that's when many, that's when it became problematic for many.
0: Yeah, and, and also the market, what I call the marketing funnel into being a Sikhi. Like right. Somehow they got enmeshed. And right. even today, the way that KRI is enmeshed with Sikh Dharma and the way that the teachers are basically like propping themselves up to be the most evolved yogi is to become a Nahang Sikh. You know, it's like this weird evolving to be like, well, I've been asking for a while, like, why are these two things enmeshed? Why is the goal of a Kundalini yoga teacher to become a Sikhi? Like, why?
1: Well, you know, it's a brand.
0: um, It's what you're talking about. It's because of this brand identity.
1: And also, um, in many ways, Sikhism, is a form of absolutism. I mean hmm. I I want to so in in about about 4 years ago um you know we in evolving kundalini were still trying to connect dots and and find you know the historic precedents for kundalini yoga. I mean it was a necessity because again if kundalini yoga was the sole invention of Yogi Bhajan that would be problematic you know for instance i don't i typically if there was you know a video on youtube of bill cosby i would not watch it just because he's a rapist you know so if kundalini yoga were the sole invention of yogi bhajan that would be a problem i i don't know if i could continue with kundalini yoga if that were the case um but i've known all along that that you know the continuum of all yoga is kundalini yoga exists in the continuum of all yoga it's a tantric style it's a bhakti style I mean there's you know it's connected but in uh, a few years ago there was a first of all a Philip to sleep do you know him
0: oh yes mm-hmm. and so oh, read his articles yes. mm-hmm. right
1: so he um, wrote a paper that began to examine some of the claims made by Yogi Bhajan and de- and in his paper deconstructed a lot of those claims and to me like white tantric being a complete fabrication you know having no historical precedent which is true and not true i'll explain that later but um i thought it was a breath of fresh air that he was you know thinking about this stuff and writing about it so philip DeSleep sleep was giving um a talk in uh i guess at a university in England and a young Sikh was in the audience and he when Philip to sleep was saying well Sanhazar Singh never existed who Yogi Bhajan said was his teacher and all that this young Sikh knew that this that Philip was not correct, because his this person had studied with a teacher who's. Um, who knew Sanhazar Singh was part of his lineage they call themselves the lion yogi lineage. Um and they're, they're a Nihang sect, and according to him, um, you know, this is a, this started with Guru Gobind Singh, and there is a real tradition, and Ongnamo, and, Ong and satan Nama, and Sakriya, and all these things exist in the context of this Lion Yogi sect. Um, and, you know, we got to know this person whose name is Govinder Singh, and there is some debate about whether he's quote unquote real or not, but what he you know sort of exposed to us could not have been made up by him there's something there there's really something there i mean i've known all along that you know aspects of kundalini yoga are very much like the martial arts training um, that guru Gobind singh used to train regular people to be warriors and i there's just so much in sikhism that pre-exists yogi bhaja you know, so this, uh, I want
0: to pause and just say yeah. all those things aren't not true, meaning I agree with you that he took real information. And I think what makes a good cult leader is they take real truth from real sources and then pull them together to create a new coagulated thing, right? right. And so 3ho as taught kundalini yoga as taught by yogi bhajan is them trying to brand something that cannot be proprietary branded because it is ancient wisdom that has been put into a bottle and called something so there's historical precedence to different segments of things and so like my experience and and i'd love to get into this with you a little bit um, My distilling of it was that, okay, breath in and of itself has an essence of historical wisdom, mantra, sound current take away the seek sounds and just say sound current. The original kind of quote essence of sound current is that our bodies are an instrument that with our tongue and with our own body capacity, we can create sound vibration and sound vibration can actually heal both inside outside because we are resonance, right? We are beings of resonance. So there's history of these things going all the way back to comedic science. We're talking about ancient historical, knowledge that's passed down through source wisdom, right? So in Kundalini Yoga, some of those principles for me that I distilled were like sound, body posture, right? The way that you use your body as an instrument to create um, angles and and pressure and tension. It's something real to say, oh, the nervous system is a pressure release system. So learning how these things work, how your glands communicate, um, there's these aspects to call a whole lineage or to call an academic like de Slip not accurate because somebody in the audience named person, man, because there's a lineage called, I knew somebody who was a Sat Hazada follower and the lion sect yogi. I've heard a lot of these things kind of as new mystical stories that are popping up to help us legitimize what in my opinion needs to be personally detangled and then reconnected to the source wisdom that each of us has as opposed to it's really easy to get on a new mystical story right. that Guru Gobind Singh was a late of a warrior sect and I've right. watched all these Nahung Indian Sikhs right. from London start positioning themselves one of them at the yoga festival actually told me that Yogi Bhajan told him that they're so evolved as yogis in the lion sect that they don't actually have to do any kundalini yoga and they're perfect now meanwhile the homeboys got a little beer belly you know and, right, and right. all sorts of things which is typical 3ho to me like the right. whole story to me reeked in rooted rot systems and i'm right. not trying to discount somebody's lineage that they feel is real what i am saying is that it reeks of the same
1: right well, being the yogi and spun that's where i was going um okay good
0: i, I just wanted to so pause and, and see if that if we're in line there
1: well first of all first of all um there are esoteric streams in Sikhism, which are really cool and beautiful and amazing, and so this ties in with that. So whether what he told me is true or not true, I feel through experience there's some there's truth there. There's some truth there because he taught me some techniques, and they're pretty amazing. It's all great. So, but the other thing is that um, Guvinder's contention is that well he's he said he his personal feeling is that kundalini yoga is ridiculous because you know yoga should be about liberation nothing else not self-discovery not to become an autonomous being not to heal your wounds it's all about liberation which is fine but to me that form of what I call absolutism is problematic because we are embodied beings we are here to heal our wounds there's so many projects that we need to attend to and i think that kundalini yoga is is a valuable tool for all those projects but we're not just here to grit our teeth and and purify our ego it's interesting people that that talk about purifying their ego have the biggest egos which is interesting to me and full
0: in 3ho i mean 3ho carries the banner for that persona
1: you know so the other thing that's so basically Govinder's contention at least in his discussions to me was if you're not a Sikh in this lifetime you need to be a Sikh in order to be liberated that was his statement to me and I don't I don't agree with that um and um I see Kundalini yoga more as a tantric system and I also see that life is meant to be experienced and lived not Mm -hmm not just kind of worked around um
0: i actually agree with you and um i don't like that level of absolutism statements it's very to me this is why i thought i was shedding the hypocrisy of the religious aspect of my growing up and thought that the health consciousness was good i feel like where it gets entangled for me around using kundalini yoga as if it's a legitimized system is i feel like it gives too much credence to yogi bhajan meaning I would rather take it back pre him and say, there were energetic systems, whether or not they were called Kundalini yoga. And some of them had to do with say breath science, right? And some of them had to do with posture, right. some of them had to do with sound and some of them to do with frequency and, and consciousness and, and that there's ancient teachers of many lineages that are available for our own individual path right. of, of healing and liberation. Um, so I'm I'm curious about that. Like, is that, is this story, the lion sect yoga, this conversation, is that the only thing that's legitimizing the body of work called Kundalini yoga? Because I do agree that the Kundalini energy is the tantric energy, like learning to understand the potency of our sexual energy, moving that through the spinal column, understanding our brain body connection. Like I, I do get the power of people learning that. Right. But is it a body of work called kundalini yoga? I don't know if we're going to answer that, but I'm curious because I know you keep referring to it as that way, but I don't. And so I'd like to hear more.
1: That's where things get problematic because I know it's controversial and many people might feel that it's insensitive, but I, I do think that a lot of things, I do believe that Yogi Bhajan was in spite of his criminality and everything else, I do believe he was tuned into something, I do believe that a lot of what he taught has value because it helps people, I also believe that we have to. um, You know take yogi bhajan out of the kundalini yoga equation, we have to relegate his name and image to at best a mere historical footnote and uh, we need to move forward um, with our own evolution not so it's not. In fact, I never called it Kundalini Yoga taught by Yogi Bhajan, which was yeah, me which was a really big deal back in the day, because everyone was always on my case about that, because mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it, it's Kundalini Yoga taught by teacher's name here, you know, we all arrive at our own set of certainties, we all develop our own style, we all develop um, things based on our own experience that we feel have value for, for people. You know it's all in the name of easing human suffering, so I do believe that he was tuned into something I do believe that what he taught some of what he taught has value, but I believe we have to carry kundalini yoga beyond that and not you know be dependent on him for anything. Um And that's what we're trying to do in evolving kundalini is just move it forward and you know whether we continue to call it kundalini yoga or not, I mean you know we're thinking about calling a Kundalini Kriya Yoga or something but
0: i would uh, just—I love to see and that's my piece on it i'm not in your group and i'm not a part of that conversation because i know it's not yet where i'm what well, i'm ready well, to well, explore
1: we're kind of all in this together you know it,
0: it's true it's true energetically i just mean i'm not active on facebook for my own mental health reasons and not that i don't think the conversations are super important because i really do and i do send people there to be like good questions go meet those folks <laughs> Um. And I would love to see a name evolve that lets us be able to lift it up beyond YB because I also have always called it Kundalini yoga. And so to me, the reference of it links me back to a whole bunch of stuff that is entangled for a lot of people still um, including sexual liberation and and subjugation and the amount of shame that's in, in wrapped up. I also want to just say, I really think this is such a personal journey, just like trauma yeah. healing and recovery is. Yeah. And so I want everyone to hear this and, and realize Ravi can have a point of view and I can have a point of view and we could not meet, but we can still hold each other in such high regard um, and be a part of evolving this conversation because that's what it means. It means we have different points of view or the same in certain areas. And every one of us get to contribute both energetically Or not. And there's nothing wrong with absolutely stopping doing kudalini yoga on all levels, if that's what your system is calling you to do. So listening to you is the real key point that I think we're both making. And within that, we're asking ourselves questions to evolve ourselves in the evolution of our own spiritual development and the the servicing and and teaching to others.
1: I mean, you know, for years and years, I've been thinking, well, maybe I just ought to be a rabbi or something, you know, I mean... (laughs) um and I keep coming back to the fact that I mean this stuff really helps people and I see that from my very first class I ever taught I saw this amazing domino effect they people would do these practices they would heal their families would heal their community would heal and it it really does work it's the perfect thing as far as I can see the medicine of the moment so but I do believe we need to move we do need to move it forward and I think that Kundalini Yoga right now is an interim name and we will arrive at something else but you know evolution takes time and we need to we basically need to sort of um cooperate with what the universe wants and and sort of I personally am just waiting for orders you know like what what does the universe want now mm. and you know we'll see
0: Yeah which I hear sometimes means pause right do nothing just allow this to kind right. of be the marinade that we're in like hmm, where is this going where does this need to go you know where is the resonance here and it's it's not I know my relationship to kundalini yoga was was so ferocious that in order for me to access um, my heart I had to stop entirely Right. Not because I didn't know that there weren't aspects that were actually legitimately good for me or for people like I remember Ravi I would be teaching and I would know the room needs this, but it absolutely is not what I needed, meaning like my system was not able to And I was started to see that polarity of like whoa. would What would, be an, be, example,
1: what would yeah. be an example of that. Um, so when I was teaching,
0: like I would say in 2014, when I started teaching, I would be talking about something around, I, I did this whole series on the chakras and it was a really dynamic series. And in my intuition told me like, Whoa, this is going to be a very dynamic series that becomes a major thing for your teaching long-term. But at that time, the message that I got was so clear that the thing that I'm speaking to, like I was talking about how, um. There's the gateway to the heart. So you have the third chakra, right? And Kundalini Yoga was talked a little bit differently where we have the, the lower three. Then you have the gateway. And only you have the key to that gate. Only you can unlock that liberatory gateway to the access to your own heart. So as I'm teaching this in this class, I'm reading the symptoms of what it means to be locked in this area of the body, Right. I'm in the middle of teaching all my classes. And right there, I'm like having a cognitive dissonance moment because I have every one of those tight, like tight digestion, um, uh, upper burping digestive stuff, uh, like ulcer, ulcer kind of, um, acid reflux. Um, my belly was super tight. Then they talked about, oh, when you have experienced really traumatic things between the ages of zero and two in your psychology, then the soul hides in a particular region of the body. So I'm reading this whole thing. And regardless of whether it made any sense, a part of me totally resonated was like, Oh my God, that's exactly what's happening. And so what it made me realize was, Whoa, I need to do less Kundalini yoga because this practice is helping me bypass myself. Not in essence not in all by itself like in essence right. i think it was helping someone else access themselves but it right. was helping me bypass myself so the technique itself was layered based on trauma patterns right and so i feel like so many people have so much compacted cognitive uh, complex trauma linked to kundalini yoga that our journeys of unentangling may have maybe long histories of learning how to access our anger which kundalini yoga is not necessarily helping us do because so much of his body of work was bypassing the emotional body. It doesn't mean that revolving Kundalini has to because we know that emotional embodiment is actually quite healthy, right? So how do we create classes where we're using techniques? I do wanna
1: say that it depends on your training and who's teaching because in my classes and trainings, I would say that that's everything is that those emotional discoveries and breakthroughs are everything that that the life that your yoga is your life and your life is your yoga and you can't separate the two and um,
0: with you and I taught that way too so I'm with you Ravi I think I taught exactly the way that I knew helped students access themselves. I always knew that was the work. And so I wasn't teaching so much of the woman's teachings. I wasn't promoting YB. I was quite literally saying, yeah, that's not in resonance with me. This I know is truth. That's not in resonance. This I know is truth. And each of us have to do that as a teacher and and as a student to be like, what's real for me now? And what's good now, you might pick up again two years from now. Like I had to stop doing cold showers but I love cold showers. It doesn't mean I don't get a one day do it again.
1: Yeah. I I stopped cold showers for like 10 years because it just didn't feel that that's what my nervous system needed. And then all of a sudden I started again, you know, so you never know what's going to happen. I I always say to people, be prepared to be surprised. Like I did so Darshan Chakra Kriya for like um 18 years for an hour sometimes two hours a day and i thought that was it was going to lead to greater spiritual heights what it what it led to was leaving 3ho and i never i taking off my turban i never i never anticipated that that's what would happen and then i realized that when you you know when you do things honestly that what what happens is what needs to happen. And you, you know, you, you have to be ready to be surprised. You know, your life can take a turn that you never anticipated, but it's all good. It's all, it's what needs to happen.
0: I'm so with you. I mean, that's exactly my process too, of like, as I was teaching, I just got inner messages like, yeah, you need to stop. And I I didn't understand it. And I'm like, what do you mean I need to stop? And so I'm having conversations with God in my own head. Like, what do you mean? Huh? And, and and realizing oh i'm being told to do the unexpected oh i have right. to lean into that dark place that i've been told n- n- not to go and it was there that i found the gems of my own soul right? right and so the the conversation the distilling the asking and being willing to like let yourself get let your own liberatory self be guided that there's not one way it has to look and the 3ho the way that they teach kundalini yoga has always been quite literally the opposite of that it's to control your behavior control your thinking limit your autonomous expression and that's not the conversation you're having when it comes to kundalini yoga
1: i remember once um yogi bhajan wrote a book of poems called a firman kalsa and it was since published but he gave me the manuscript to kind of you know look at and kind of polish if you will and as a new york poet i just i mean the that poetry was so uh i considered it was it was cultish because it it was like propaganda in my mind it was like propaganda and i just kind of went to town on it and made it honest. Oh man, he was not having that. It was, uh, I thought it was in retrospect. It's kind of funny. What, what happened?
0: It really is. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious about more of the connecting dots that you all did since 2020. Um, because I know that you started wrestling with like, again, Yogi Bhajan would be out if, he, if you didn't feel like he uh, brought something. I personally don't think he brought anything. I feel right. like he was just an excellent cult leader that stole real knowledge from other sources. And to trace back those original sources, I'm hoping people like you all are, are researching that for us.
1: <laughs> well, you know, even if he did that, if, 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 if even if you want to frame it that way, if he, quote unquote, stole real knowledge from other sources, those sources are are good they're they're great you know so
0: what i'm saying is the work is to find those sources but not to give him legitimacy so meaning the legitimacy that he brought anything i feel like he was absolutely um excellent like what you said like he had gifts but his gifts were very dark like he used them for wielding right, right. dark and so right. you can have gifts and we can use them predatorily and we right. can have gifts and we can use them to evolve and he gave us the image that he's helping us evolve because he's giving us technology and i guess i'm taking away that legitimacy in my framing at least in my mind um, to say he didn't invent anything. He was just a, an excellent manipulator and he wielded other people's wisdom. He wielded knowledge from other people in the moment. And, and that is a gift. It is a gift to be able to wow. read people and read and the more power one gets around. And then he weaved mystical tales. And so what Philip de Slip has done is he's, he's broken through that mystical tale that lets us not follow these mystical lineages that do help us stay on our soul journey and to right. stop those mystical stories and to actually examine the reality it is hard because well, we can i, say, I well, think
1: yeah the truth is somewhere in the middle that um there are you know there were lineages of yogis there were real people who sacrificed and practiced these things um there are elements in kundalini yoga of, of tantra and kriya yoga pre-exist yogi vajra and kundalini yoga i mean it's real um There's something called B. I'm
0: going to ask about Kriya Yoga. Can you tell us about Kriya Yoga? Because this is one of the things that when I was teaching, I always got excited when I learned about Kriya Yoga because it did feel like it was a lineage that predated YB.
1: Well, there's something called, um, well, yoga not. See, there's a lot of um, overlapping of terms. So Yoga Nanda teaches something called Kriya Yoga. But there's another um, system of Kriya Yoga in Northern India, which is... um, and Bihar Yoga is an emanation of it. Bihar Yoga is like proto Kundalini, that they use movement and breath of fire, and they have simple Kriyas, which are groups of exercises that, that kind of work together. So all this exists. And um, I have satisfied for myself that um, there, there are these esoteric streams in Sikhism that do accord with what we practice. So I think the truth is somewhere in the middle that that he was. The yogi bhajan was exposed to a lot of really cool stuff and he appropriated it and he put it together to monitor, to brand it, you know, um, but I think that uh, there, there's something real there that there's something real there. Um, and I, I do feel that you know I don't I don't know about the lion yogis but from what i've experienced so far, I think there's something there. And it doesn't but it doesn't matter because as i explained you know um trying to kind of collaborate with the those knee hungs is a little problematic because they're, so, they're very- so
0: problematic and it's feel, it feels very predatory my again my experience was so predatory and it also feels like he's, his, his sons are posturing themselves in similar ways right. to kind of set up this mystical story right, of right, the ancient right. lineage. So it really reeks of, of, of a bad taste in my mouth.
1: Yeah. And, and um, yeah. I mean, so we talk about cultural appropriation. I mean, according to the, you know, these Nihongs that I've talked to, they're horrified that we're using, you know, the Sikh mantras and Kundalini yoga you know so there's that on the other hand um you know we're not we're not going to be Sikhs in that way we're just not so how do we reconcile all this and what I have come to is that the universe has become quite adept at creating perfect teachings through imperfect people and all of us imperfect people um are doing our best and uh, but the universe is behind all this and I feel that what we have is valuable and useful, and that's really what matters
0: you said perfect teachings through imperfect people that's sure. basically saying that the Kundalini yoga technology that that YB brought is perfect teachings, which my experience well, isn't that at all that there which, might be aspects that are excellent, right, right. but it's not a perfect mm-hmm. teaching
1: We do need to we do need to differentiate between what he taught and who he was and what it represents I mean you have to remember that i have been in, and many others have been involved in the process of liberating kundalini yoga from the three and show and yogi Bhajan construct for for decades mm. you know in fact since yes. i first started teaching i've been developing you know a style that feels true to me and that's what every teacher has to do so, so on that
0: note ravi it's not his teachings
1: right it's right. yours It's
0: you perfecting what he didn't bring perfectly. He brought, he stole. I'm just kind of getting our language meeting because I don't think we're saying the different thing. I'm just curious why you give him legitimacy in saying he brought perfect teachings.
1: No, I'm not saying he brought, I'm saying the universe did, not him. Right, but
0: through imperfect people. So that's by association, you're saying he brought something that was perfect.
1: I'm saying somehow... The universe found a way to make certain things available to the people that need it. Um, And, you know, he happened to be part of the equation, but I'm not saying that something perfect was born out of Yogi Bhajan, I'm saying that the universe kind of knows what it's doing and against all odds, we have some things that are useful for people to help in this very crazy time that's you know.
0: So I want to pause there and say, I 100% agree that the universe is operating in ways that's so mysterious and amazing, and that we have to be able to see the, the perfection of creation, even in destruction. And you, I want to give legitimacy to you for this. You have been distilling that down for 20 some years, asking yourself questions. How do I bring this forward? How do we empower people to ask better questions, to take practice that they have a personal experience with and keep liberating themselves right but you did that and the universe has allowed you to be that channel that's what it feels like to me
1: thank thank you (laughs) uh i do want to say that in you know 3-HL kundalini yoga the amount of sophistry and kind of you know
0: what's sophistry
1: sophistry is like you know all these fancy kriyas and all this like um mystical stuff and all yogi bodhisattva contention Well, this works on the um seventh level of the you know 12th ring of your aura or whatever um it's it's really important that we find a way to sift through all that stuff and not be bamboozled by highfalutin rhetoric because in 3ho um you know we were always conditioned to think oh he's so far beyond us you know and really he was kind of just winging it to kind of try to appear that way and um it took a long time for me to appreciate that and you know i mean i'm still wrestling with all that you know um
0: so well said
1: though so well said i mean i you know um I've been teaching for 45 years and I still have imposter syndrome, you know, like who am I to be presenting spiritual teachings to anyone? Who am I to be telling people like, um, you know, how to live the best life, et cetera. So it's never gonna go away, but we do our best.
0: And, and I'm wondering because you've been at this so while, and again, I'm, I'm you're my OG here in this Kundalini, evolving Kundalini conversation. Um, which I think is such an important one because I had my own journey of this during the years I was choosing to teach from 2012 to 2018. That is why I taught, was purposely to lean into the entanglement I felt inside and the cognitive dissonance that I, quote, loved kundalini yoga for myself, but I had extreme amount of vitriol when it came to the idea of having a brand of kundalini yoga. Like I knew I did not want to teach it. I was not going to legitimize myself through that lens. And I found that cognitive dissonance tough. So you being willing to start examining that type of conversation, like what's real here? What's for me here? What's the essence of this work here that, that he brought I'm wondering if you can kind of give us some of those synopsises. Meaning like when you say Kundalini Yoga, it automatically triggers my brain to go right. Kundalini Yoga is taught by Yogi yeah. Bhajan. Even though I never said taught by Yogi Bhajan, it brings me to that body of work called his body of work. You have been evolving this distillation and not that it's perfect, but you gave one example. He has well, just, all these wild Kriyas that he makes up right. And how do you tell the good ones from these wild ones? I'm sure there's other sections that you've kind of distilled saying that stuff's nonsense. Keep this basic stuff. Well, I'm wondering
1: as you were talking about before, what are the bedrock elements of Klingon yoga? We have rhythm and resonance. Yep. We have conscious breathing. We have self-inquiry. Uh, we have the science of sequence, etc. So those okay. are kind of universal principles. Uh, what has value in Kundalini Yoga? Sat Kriya. Because what people need more than anything is naval work. Why do they need naval work? Be- because before we can bust a move to a higher order of being, we need to stabilize. We, we need to be able to put on the brakes. Um, people are wrestling with identity. When we say Sat Nam, the navel is the amplifier for sound. So when we say Sat Nam at the navel, we are declaring to ourselves, I am True. I am true to myself. I am that I am. Not. No one could ever take that away from me. We are, and that's what people need because they don't have an identity. People were never given a basic foundation in self, and so when you do sac, and there's a lot of first chakra work that goes on in sacria. People need that desperately. That's identity. Most people were ne- never given a basic foundation in self, so their their whole life they're reeling. So, Sakkriya is a really good stabilizer, you know, um, and it's great for the glands and it, you know, activates the chakras. So, it really does that. It's a therapy. So, I think that has tremendous value. And um, and I have satisfied for myself that Sakkriya pre exists Yogi Bhajan. So, there's, and that's always comforting to know that for me. Um, so, that's one example. I mean, uh, spine flexes you're creating energy wave in your spine you're, we need to move our spine five ways every day. You know, to sort of stay healthy and young and that help that you know takes care of some of that and so many things so there's these. Beautiful things that happen when we do some of these techniques and people need these you know, so we can live a day and not age a day. Um, and so I think a lot of things have have value
0: live Uh, a day and not age a day. I love these little slogans that we, that we come up with. Um, You know, I, I'm so with you when it comes to like, what are some of the principles that was really my approach to kind of saying like, what's real here and what's not. And um, you know, brain, you know, what is it, dynamic movement, where you're coordinating breath and body. I could absolutely understand from a nervous system point of view why this is so potent um, and, and what it means to stabilize, right? When you're talking about Sakriya and and the other elements that go with it, right? Eye focus, dristi, where the tongue is, e- learning subtle understandings of your energy system. These are things that I was able to distill is, down.
1: This is all yoga. You know, this is not Yogi Bhajan. This is yoga and 3-H-O, we were kind of well, not me, but people were said just rely on Yogi Bhajan for your information or Guru Charan, but not you. Don't need to do your own homework. Just you know, but it's very problematic to rely on one person's word for everything. Um, and so, this is everything we're talking about is yoga. It it it's, it it exists in yoga, which is really an important important to remember.
0: Yeah, and you know, a more recently evolved conversation. Have you heard of the book called um, The Trauma of Caste? No. Yeah, so this woman is a, uh, she calls herself a uh, delete feminist. It's called a delete feminist meditation on survivorship, healing, and abolition. But one of the things she brings up is how problematic our rhetoric around yoga is because of how much it's rooted in the Brahmanism um, and delete his history. And so it it, it predates all the separation around race and color coding. And it really has helped me to kind of evolve this very complex conversation around appropriation and around legitimacy and how social and power dynamics of times create systems that become schools or lineages that are legitimate while other ones get cast away. And we have to start seeing even how our yoga language is actually very harmful to an entire massive group of people called the deletes or untouchables because they're fit within this hierarchy of where the Brahmins have casted them as being non-human, you know? And and whoa, that's complex, isn't it?
1: (sighs) It's interesting that Guru Nanak's first students were the untouchables. Exactly. And and by the way, speaking of Guru Nanak, I mean, I think that if you, you know, erase Yogi Bhajan and put in Guru Nanak, it it makes perfect sense that he is a teacher that we can look to as an example. He wasn't a Sikh, he was a seeker, you know, he was a universalist, he was a Bhakti poet, he, you know, um, he was a world traveler. So I think that he is a good template to, we don't need to look to anyone, but I think as, as an exemplar, is as a, as a kind of proof of concept, I think he's a really uh, good one to look to.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that what you point out about Guru Nanak, for me, I feel like my lens into it is that Guru Nanak was the coping mechanism that kept so many people in through the seventies, eighties, nineties, and two thousands,
1: because
0: that I know my father gave my family that story. It's the way that, that, the essence of the teachings got legitimized while all the abuse continued was because of who Guru Nanak was. And so people could erase themselves from the hypocrisy going on by quoting Guru Nanak teachings because he does bring us back to the political disturbance that he represented. He was of a high caste that started to break down the social and political order that says, no, it doesn't have to be that way. I would say the, because I see it as a coping mechanism, Oftentimes I feel like it's leaned on a little too much to not actually examine why we didn't do what we needed to do at that time to see the pain of the abuse of our friend, (laughs) because in essence, you know, I am a seeker of truth. And so that did keep me going through my twenties and thirties. I didn't identify as a seek, but I identified as a seeker of truth and that my life had to come crashing down. And I had to recognize, wow, there's a power dynamic that is propelling my essence. It runs me. And in order to detangle that, I had to go into kundalini yoga. That's the that's the shadow work, right? So I knew right. there was a dark shadow in kundalini yoga, but I had no idea what I was in for, Ravi. So like what right. you're talking about, you have no idea the the rabbit holes your soul sends you on if you're willing to listen, like right. take your turban off in 1999, like- like, I, I can't wait for Waa to come tell her story because having some of these inside lenses around, yes, people knew in the 90s, yes, people j- legitimately wanted to tell somebody, but what do you do? Who do you tell? Um,
1: I was, I was um, around in Waa's life when Waa was leaving and I saw, um, well, Waa will tell you, but it was really traumatic and dramatic, I mean, you know, Wa was very courageous, I have to say.
0: She is and always has been. And we hope to be able to hear more from her because I know she she has a lot to say um, right. when she's ready. I, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier, Ravi. And it's one of the things that I had to really wrestle with. Like when I had to lean into whether or not to teach Kundalini yoga, I had such vitriol about doing it. And I was like, that is just so weird. And I decided I don't wanna go through life with holding this much vitriol in my body. And so I need to lean into this so that I can unentangle whatever this is. And and that's the essence of what I hear you talking about. You're helping empower students to ask themselves better questions and to lean into the places in themselves. Um, And and in my opinion, maybe giving a little too much legitimacy to a body of work that YB brought, but I don't think he brought it. I think that that's just, ways that we're using language to describe something right but i want to go back to the public private um you had noticed that that was one of the signs that the way that he was living privately and the way that he was personifying himself publicly that was one of your early signs and for me when i had to lean into why i didn't want to teach kundalini yoga when i asked myself that question the things that popped up were that one of them was i didn't want to live a public private life and the other one is, it was just, there were just some weird ones, you know, I didn't want to be forced to have to wear white and a turban. there were just all these things. And I started realizing, oh, well, you don't, you don't have to, you can just teach, you don't have to do that. And so I had to start breaking around the constructs of my psychology, which is what you're talking about. But that public-private life was way more complex. So yes, I did start teaching without a turban and I I wore sexy clothes while doing it because I was breaking my constructs, my shame constructs. But that public-private life was a big one for me because I didn't know how to not do that. My whole identity was shaped around, you have a public persona and a private persona. So it took almost 10 years before I was able to get through some of that.
1: I think you had way more unpacking to do than I did because I was always sort of a little bit apart, you know, and I got to be in New York and all that. But I think having grown up in it, you had layers and layers.
0: And no other identity to reference. And that's way more complex when you're a child in something because the way I've experienced it, you're like a child marinating in an ethos and that ethos is corrupt. And so a part of your own essence of your nervous system is actually kind of safe in corruption
1: right, right and that's
0: weird it's weird to be like oh i'm regulated to corrupt manipulators let's have some more
1: you know my my experience of kundalini yoga was just you know powerful dynamic poetic creative you know i i would um just different you know uh, coming at it from a poet's point of view not 3ho so i when i think of kundalini yoga i I don't think of 3-HL Kundalini Yoga. I think of Kundalini, you know, is an is a evolving dynamic energy and its manifestations. So,
0: well, that makes sense too, because if yeah. you've been at this since 2000, let's say, that's 20 plus years of you. Well, I've,
1: I've been teaching this way since 1976. So
0: it just, but you were a turban.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: there's a distinction as you took off the formula, you took off the identity and you started coming up with Ravi's way of doing this, something was shifting. So I I agree that you were teaching before, but what I'm saying, the moment you take off your turban and you're starting to wrestle with your psychology and teaching still, something started to happen. And so I could absolutely see why 20 years later, you have no reference point back to 3HO. You say Kundalini Yoga, and it means the body of work that you've created over the years but that's not the reference point that most of us go to when you say kundalini yoga our brain doesn't do that it doesn't go to where you've evolved it
1: that's why i think we need to well you know my contention is kundalini yoga belongs to the people who practice it so why should 3ho own kundalini yoga why can't we liberate it so that's what i've been that's the assumption i've been operating on and um we might have to just start calling it something else but my feeling is why, why should KRI own kundalini yoga? You know, why can't we own it?
0: So I I, I agree philosophically. And then right. when it comes to actually how the body stores survival right. stress, survival right. stress brings up memories. Right. Regardless if our higher mind and our evolved mind knows better, the survival brain is clicked in. And so I feel like a part of, What is evolving this conversation is how do we support asking better questions around pulling the shaft from the thing instead of
1: you're saying uh, the very phrase Kundalini Yoga can be triggering for some
0: because it well what it does I don't know about I don't like the word personally triggered because it's more like there's an associative response. Right. And and you can pretend that associative response, you can even tell people you shouldn't have that associative response. That's not your higher mind. You're more evolved than that because that's true. But our survival brains are actually more, They're more responsive than our evolved brain, right? Right. And this is why some of these techniques you're talking about are a part of what we have to legitimately have a real experience with. But to uncouple them, like my experience with complex trauma, is that you can have a really good thing coupled with a very abusive experience, and now they've become enmeshed. It doesn't mean they stay enmeshed, but you have to do more than kundalini yoga to unenmesh them. Right. You can't just keep doing the same universal, beautiful essence of a practice to unenmesh that entangle. And, right. and I don't know what that means for someone else. For me, what that meant was not teaching for a while, not practicing for long periods of time, doing the opposite of what my mind wants me to do. So I'm really, I like daily Kriyas. I like breath of fire, like I love breath practice, but I've purposely not, I've done opposite things that are a little bit softer and more sensual and things that are trying to like develop a feminine aspect of me that never got attention where my masculine willpower, my discipline, my, that stabilizing force was almost too stabilized where it was preventing me from feeling the support and love of all that is. And I'm not saying everybody's experience is like mine or yours, right? but that, um, together realizing there has been a lot of pain and abuse mixed in with this concept of what people consider kundalini yoga. And I hear that you've done 20 plus years of distilling what's real from what's not. And I really value that kind of dedication because I did maybe eight years of that and it mattered. It changed me. So I know it must change you. And it changed Anna and it changed your students. And yet a lot of us aren't there yet. So when you say Kundalini Yoga is beyond Yogi Bajan, while philosophically, I want that to be true for a lot of us, our survival stress is not, that's not true at all.
1: Right. Right.
0: (laughs) Nothing easy about it, which is why it's called Evolving Kundalini.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's all about, um, it really comes down to making our life our yoga rather than our yoga, our life, because many people make kundalini yoga and Sikh Dharma and everything else their life and that, but they, 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 um, disregarded their life, you know, and that's the problem.
0: God, that is so well said. And that's what it means to be coerced in a cult. Right. right. Uh, Is that you slowly don't have autonomous thought. You don't have your independent thinking. You don't have your own behaviors anymore. And you don't even see it happening because you think you've evolved into something more special than who you were.
1: I was also thinking the other day that the three inch old brand of Sikh Dharma is like, you're being asked to almost become an archetype, you know, and you can't, you can only be an archetype for limited periods. You can't live in that space it's not sustainable um you get you get burned ultimately because you're too close to the when you try to live an archetype like Marilyn Monroe or Elvis Presley you can't be that in that all the time you get burned by the primal fire and so 3 HO the 3 HO brand of Sikhism was not really practical or sustainable in fact the level of hypocrisy the more put together they were, this is just my observation, more often than not, the more put together they were on the outside, the more chaotic and neurotic they were on the inside.
0: And God, isn't that proven to be true? As, as the stories come out, I, right. I start seeing these people that I used to think were in like say, states of consciousness. Now I see them as in states of, of frozen terror. Like I can yeah. see them as complex PTSD survivors, actually just in perpetual disassociation.
1: I remember I was walking down the street in New York and I saw like a real high level 3 hl seek, you know, one of the muckety-mucks, right? And I remember, <laughs> I remember talking to him and just noticing that his eyes were glazed over. He's, In fact, I noticed a lot among people, they're numbed out just numbed out and, and in retrospect it's they were living in trauma they were just the only way to cope with that was to be numb completely numb and I saw it again and again and I said oh my god these people are supposed to be proof of concept you know these these Mukya Sing Sags and all that and they're just completely numbed out and I I do not want to be like that in fact they're they're demonstrating for me how not to be
0: It was totally me too. I would look around and see people like that. And I was really doing the best I could to teach with my own essence coming forward, as opposed to promoting the organization or any of the muckety mucks or any of that stuff. And I, get, I would watch my students kind of end up in this marketing funnel. And before you knew it, they had changed their name and now they're wearing white and now they're off to, to so-and-so's teacher land. And, and I would just warn them. I would just be like, hey, you know, you, you have discernment. Remember, nobody can tell you what to do. You get to choose. And I would talk about the affairs and I would talk about things publicly in my classes so that people didn't um, follow the personas that 3HO specializes in. And I see their whole Aquarian teacher training that way too, as... You know, people get to live those personas, they take on these training yeah. programs, and they're right. living out personas, and they create right. whole brands around their name.
1: Right, right, exactly.
0: You know, which is, again, is just little YBs all over, which is why, to me, it is. Um, troubling and challenging to keep hearing kundalini yoga because it feels like it's legitimizing them. And I don't want to do that. I want to differentiate because there is a real difference between that disassociated numb state that is bypassing emotions, bypassing your sexual health, bypassing whatever comes up for you, right? Whatever the real thing that you have to look at in your life to go for something that, that the teachings say you have to do. And none of that ever was healthy. Right. And to watch the training system, everything KRI, everybody just propels it forward. I don't care if people continue to teach Kundalini yoga, they're going to do it anyway. Right. I just want people to have better conversations. And if people are having better conversations, either within themselves or with each other, to me, that's awesome because it means you're you're self-examining you're asking right it's critical you're breaking things apart
1: what i saw happening in the wake of the yogi bhajan revelations is many of um teachers in kri they had spent so long trying to be lead teachers that they that they were not willing to walk away from that construct because of the investment they had made which is a little you know disappointing but that's what happened
0: And it's so hard if you formed your entire identity around a persona and then suddenly to look at a revelation that says, oh, that's gonna totally disintegrate that persona, what do you do? You have to let people have their space, but it turns into harm when people carry on promoting and propagating something that is legitimately causing harm. What's exposed itself on these podcasts over the last three years, Ravi, was that the formula, what I call the YB predatory formula, as the teacher living their persona, using the mystical teachings that will evolve you, not that you evolve you, right? But the right. teachings do that for you. Um, it allows these students to actually carry on that same predatory behavior with their own lineage. So wow. we've had a lot of people's stories come in and start saying, say the Gurmukh lineage or the there was the Guru Dave Singh stuff where the same predatory abuse And story came out of of him abusing a woman and his daughter, her daughter, and just all these things, which are basically, I see as super predators, they're the next lineage that's legitimizing and to watch that right And, and they are in states of complete numbness because they can't acknowledge what's in plain sight.
1: Right. Right.
0: You know, that women, we know that our sisters that we love that grew up with us absolutely were groomed and into concubineship, into sadistic abuse and and their labia being chewed. And these types of things aren't easy to reconcile, right? Because we're talking about sexual energy that we've been learning to cultivate in our own bodies to a state of our own disassociation where our our, our people we love have been harmed.
1: Right. Right. You know,
0: and to carry on into those numb states, I really again, I I value you holding the space that you are for the amount of people that are trying to reconcile this this complexity. It's not it's not easy.
1: Yeah, what what isn't also easy is that in three ho you know, it was taught that we're supposed to lead people to the guru, not towards which is valid we as teachers we're not leading people to ourselves but um as we evolve kundalini what do we direct people to we don't people we're not delivering people to ourselves so what are we delivering people to what is that just being a whole being is that what and i don't know the answer to that yet Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Me, the soul, that your own soul pulse is a resonance that's unique. It's as unique as your own DNA, as your own fingerprint. Nobody can interpret it but you. You are the only interpreter and the messages you receive are gonna be unique. You may find practices along the way that are in resonance, but those same practices may not be in resonance at different stages. And only you can listen to your yes and no. But what I found in Kundalini Yoga is my yes and no was crossed. So based on growing up the way I grew up, I was saying yes to things that my soul was a no to. And I was saying no to things that my soul was a yes to, but I was cross because I had grown up in such manipulation, you know, and we all have our own unique origin story. But I, again, I had to stop doing Kundalini yoga to feel that in me. I couldn't feel my pulse because I had been so trained to numb out.
1: Right. You know, um. At some point along the way, I I differentiated between spirit and soul. Mm. Kundalini Yoga is, I mean, 3HL was all about a sort of tainted interpretation of spirit, but it was lacking soul. It was lacking soul, and that's what people really needed more of, is soul. You know, being true to yourself, um, you know, honoring your path, your, your path etc so
0: how about the movement of our hips you know the rhythm of like our sexual energy being able to actually be expressed i found the hypocrisy of that in my body so um so entangled around how we were learning so much about the power of our sexual energy and how to move it through our bodies and yet sexuality was so subjugated and it was so much hypocrisy and so with that kind of um duplicity there was never truth to me in that stuff. Right. Nothing he ever taught felt truthful in right. that realm. But it didn't mean that real Tantra essence of teachings of Kundalini lineage didn't, wasn't real because I met teachers along the way that did have real teachings around Tantra. But because I had a radar for super calls, it was hard to determine, is this real? Is this not? Right. And so right. I think it's the same thing that people come into your group with, like, or not. I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you, I guess like I think that's the point is we got to get better at self discernment and not give any of our power to a body of work or this is the this is the right way because it's your your guidance
1: right very good that's that's well said totally agree with that uh buddha said um don't worship the finger pointing at the moon
0: (laughs) so great so great um I'm quite disturbed by watching KRI and um, the organization just repropagate itself. And I'm not surprised. I don't want to put my life force to any of that because that's what good cults do. They just rebrand themselves and keep it moving. And I think that the conversations you're holding and having are are much healthier and safer places perhaps because they're not safe places for everybody. A lot of people can't go into a space like yours right now because there's too much conflation of Kundalini Yoga, their experience, and subjugation and abuse, um, but it doesn't mean that w- at one point they can't get into that conversation. Well, I do want to
1: say that we, you know, evolving Kundalini supports everyone. If someone is reeling or has doubts or feels a Kundalini, we just support everyone. Anyone that feels that they just want to gather with other human beings, you know, we want to. We also want to support people that feel that they've been victimized as well so we don't mandate that people believe in kundalini yoga we just we just want to be a support system for everybody
0: and i do feel that in your heart i guess what i'm saying is that the language a lot of the language right. that's like ex- right. exchanged in the environment um ultimately won't feel safe to trauma right. survivors that have very complex trauma related to right. growing up or teaching kundalini yoga and again that's my personal opinion because that is right. The experience that I have with, with what I experience a lot of spiritual bypassing meaning wanting to legitimize what may not be legitimate and I'm right. not saying it's not it's just language that kind of gives assumptive credence to spiritual law um, right. when that's when when as children of this community we experience spiritual abuse as love. And so to witness spiritual bypassing and language around the universe always knows not that that's not beautiful. But as a child of a community, it it, it still is painful to feel and to because it means somebody isn't acknowledging like, whoa, that was abusive environment, even if the universe guided you there.
1: (laughs) I do. I do want to say that, um, you know, every yogic lineage, as you know, has been tainted by scandal. so. So is true. yoga not real? It is real. There are ways to, there are, techn- there are methodologies that we can use to heal and grow and know more. So um, we don't want to throw out yoga. We, we can call it by any number of names, but yoga is useful for people, you know, this human experience. So that's it what we can we're trying- be. But it yeah. can
0: also not be for some people. Right. I guess that's right. what I'm saying. It can be very useful for people. And for those people that have been abused with it, it can also not be.
1: Right. Um, but, you know, personally, I think that um, certain teachings represent a dispensation of grace by the saints and sages of the ages to help us deal with our human condition and and that there are things in yoga that represent grand hacks that can save us time trouble and anguish so i i believe in yoga um and i think that it's really in every you know it's all yoga everything is yoga so i think that people there are there are useful tools for people in this life and to me that's what yoga is
0: and and I appreciate that. Um, and I do know that that's absolutely true. There is absolutely no way to not have that be true. Um, and I've learned that, wow, I was absolutely, absolutely abused with really good things. Like right now, right. one of the things that I'm discovering is how to retrain a lot of the incorrect um, muscle and patterns of my body, but specifically breath patterns and that stuff's very hard. So doing that with physical therapists and with actual like mental health therapists so that I can get back to like feeling my body. So then I can actually repick up a practice like deep stretching or, or dynamic movement and not be moving into a disassociated right. state. Well, but it's way. slow, it's slow right. for me. And so again, right. I'm differentiating that it's very okay for somebody to say yoga, I was abused. Yoga is not good for me, the world promotes it as good and trauma informed and for me that's not true, And that can be legitimately true it doesn't discount somebody else who's having a spiritual awakening with practicing yoga.
1: And I, I would say that everything you're doing to who yourself is yoga.
0: And I don't disagree because right. that's been the identity I was raised with. But why right. I don't like that association is because that's the rhetoric I grew right. up with. Right. Right. Everything is your yoga. My dad right. gave me that philosophy as right. a way to be able to propel my life without actually looking at the real life symptoms of abuse that occurred. Wow. If everything was my yoga, then I could just drift through life and not actually examine the fact that he was a predator or he was an alcoholic and I was 15 and I was coaching him and that's not okay, you know? And I love the idea that I'm a yoga, that everything is yoga because it ultimately means union. It means I'm unioning. I am, you know, unioning with all of life, of all that happens, you know? So the essence of that, I do agree with. And that lingo can bring me back to very abusive right. rhetoric that is rooted in 3HO and a lot of people's spiritual upbringings, right? which is what makes it kind of culty.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. But, and good, you know what I mean? So it's like something can be in essence true and then also a little culty, like, eh. Right. And it, I'm just bringing it up because I would like to see more of these spaces evolve beyond kind of spiritual rhetoric to real life happenings and also universal principles that can be simultaneously held.
1: Right. Good one. Those are
0: two poles.
1: Yeah. Right. Which is two poles. um, The essence of tantra trying to reconcile these things.
0: Exactly. We're bringing these poles together into union, into integration. So I've personally found instead of using the language of yoga, because again, that propelled many years of my life. Now I'm using more uh, trauma informed language around nervous system regulation. And what I thought I knew about my nervous system based on my kundalini yoga, distilling the truth from the lies of YB, I still didn't know what was actually happening in my nervous system because I had been so trained to think I knew what was going on in my nervous system. But only once I understood complex trauma and I started following people that have been um, trained in like Feldenkrais or other nervous system regulation practices, not stimulation practices. Right. Um, and to know the subtle art of the difference. And
1: and
0: I'm just, I'm picking up new language that's helping me. So I don't now reference yoga, even though I do love the essence of the union of yoga. Now it's like, oh, what's actually happening in my nervous system? Oh, I'm having a cortisol adrenaline rush right now. Oh, I can feel that in my navel center. Oh, I can feel that in my rib cage. Oh, geez, I can feel that in my kidneys. Oh, shoot. And so instead of going right to a breath practice, now I might do something much softer, like hold my low brain and my belly. Like I'm learning something else, and to me, Kundalini yoga has, as I've always felt it in my experience, which I don't use that language anymore. But I am with you. I've had legitimate life-altering experiences with practices, whether it was Satkriya, whether it was um, Long Ekhonkar's Sudarshan Chakra Kriya. I have had my personal. No one can take away from me experiences that have totally changed me because of some of these Kriyas. And I want those to always be mine. You know, right. so it's like, that's why I love what we're talking about because it's not like we have answers. We're just on a process.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, what more? I know we're heading towards the end. Do you want to speak to um, any more about? Um, your work with Anna, your, where you've evolved this work to the present, kind of the call to people today?
1: Well, I think this discussion has been very exciting for me, because I think that what we've talked about is where we're headed, we need to integrate our own personal process with the work on ourselves. And I, and I think that I don't know how this evolution will. will manifest, but we're I know that we're all part of it, and to me that's very exciting and I think that something beautiful is coming out of all this. Um, I think that the way the universe works is very often. You know beauty comes out of something that was very horrendous problematic and harmful but then. Everything contains its opposite, so I, I think something beautiful is brewing, and I'm excited to see where it takes all of us. Um, and I do want to say that um, An and I have a raviana.com, r-e-v-i-a-n-a. We are well, we have our yoga streams, and we're kind of evolving ourselves, and um, and we are going to think about calling kundalini yoga something else all you know, because I think what you said has a lot of validity so that is something that we really need to discuss in, in evolving kundalini and if anyone feels. Um, inspired please you know come to our Facebook page evolving kundalini and we would love to see you tonight we're having a uh, gathering everyone is going to talk about their favorite smoothie and salad summer recipes. So we just try to have, you know, fellowship and fun and and support people.
0: Yeah, I, I found it to be a, a beautiful space to witness from a distance where people could come in with a random question. And not only do you answer it, but you also tag several other people that might have their own thought wisdom. And everybody has kind of their own unique history that might go all the way back to the 70s or not. And, and this is important to have spaces that... um I've come to learn not, we can't define spaces as safe because a lot of people don't feel safe in spaces that we're cultivating that we think are safe. Um, But that's unique because safety is cultivated in our own bodies.
1: I would would love to see part of that conversation. If you don't feel like you wanna come on Facebook, maybe um, we can have like a a talk by you about everything you've been discussing. Um, I think that perspective would be very valuable for people so is that something you might be interested in
0: i'm totally i'm totally open for this um one of the things ravi is that you know i've been in such my own uh, trauma recovery healing process and only since 2020 did i even have that proper language like i had oh i'm in cult recovery and not just from 3ho you know i joined an mlm um which basically mimicked the same power dynamics but it was a part of my unindoctrination like i cut my hair and i ended up doing all these kind of fit, uh, what I call, uh, assimilation. And so healing from both of those only now am I I starting to have language. And I look back at those years of teaching and and it's such important reflection, especially for what we know now, because even though I didn't know what my soul was guiding me towards in hindsight, now I'm like, Holy smokes. Like did my soul know? And I do feel like sharing this aspect of my story can really support so many people Because these are the types of questions we have to ask ourselves, I was led to so many dark, dark places that were my liberation and because i was willing to listen and go down rabbit holes that my indoctrination told me not to go but my soul was pulsing me towards it and i listened and to me that's what your story represents you know i don't know your full story but you listened you paid attention and then you listened and then you moved on and you and anna evolved the brand and and i have just utmost respect for that because to evolve a brand that's going against and and i'm calling you both a brand because you guys have your own brand personas that i feel really were needed and necessary during certain stages because all people had to go on was 3h o kundalini yoga you know and to to you know the only other ones i witnessed out there was maybe forest yoga with one one other lady that had videos but you too like had this creative energy that was letting me know you're asking different questions. And that mattered to me because it reminded me that it was okay for me to do that. Even though I didn't wanna dive into who you all were yet, it was just helpful. And that's all we all are doing. Each of our stories can help somebody else evolve themselves to detangle your place that you're stuck. And, And again, this is why I don't like to legitimize bodies of work that YB or the mystical lineages because how about you just say Sat, Sat Korea because you like Sat Korea. Do we right. need to find it? Maybe. And before you, I let you go, I want to ask you one thing. So the answer is yes, I'll come into your Facebook group um, and, and whatever way we can do that in a way that feels safe for me um, and also open because it's, it's all just about creating connection and camaraderie. But the question I wanted to ask was this. I heard you in that group, but also in this conversation, talk about sound, right? And so I'm really into why we use mantra is because A, you're using your tongue, your mouth, you're understanding meridians, you're you're using your body as an instrument to create sound current, not only just listening to the sound, but creating that sound. But in my distillation of it, I realized that Guru Muki might be one, one language that has that kind of resonance. But if you go back further, there were definitely sound currents that were just as resonant, right. like Amaric, one of right. the original sounds, right, of, of the Bible, or Hebrew, or just different right. sound currents that absolutely cre- create the legitimacy of that resonance where the sound and the sound current your body is creating are equal.
1: And maybe there's a way to extricate this technology from religion, which would be interesting.
0: Yes, uh, where we get to use the sound current of many faiths Right, because then, unless somebody gets to have the experience, and what if they come from the Jewish faith and and reading right. the their their passages resonates in their soul?
1: Right, right. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, um, these surface labels are just convenient entrance points, but there's there's many ways to access these universal truths.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to say Satnam If you want to delegitimize right. that, you can say, I am, I am, you know, right. I am truth, you know, find it. Now the sound of English isn't creating that same sound current as a resonant language. So there is some ancient wisdom you might have to trace back. But again, this is the type of stuff you can bring to the evolving Kundalini uh, Facebook group. And there's a ton of people that have interesting backgrounds that all get to just kind of share, not to make you wrong or right, and not to make themselves wrong or right, but to share their wisdom and their perspective.
1: I mean, I do feel that um, the esoteric levels of Sikhism are—it's not three ho Sikhism; it's just something else. I do believe they're pretty cool, you know, and they've—they've they've really developed a lot of cool things. So, I don't see that as a problem per se, unless. It's conflated with, you know, the 3-H-O take on Sikhism, which was kind of, you know, different.
0: What I think it does, though, is I think it fetishizes Sikhi and the Indian in that whole culture. So it's a form of Western fetishization. um, And we do that as Westerners. It goes it goes all the way back to Orientalism, where we do that to all sorts of Asian and, and ancient mystical wisdom. So in my attempt to un- culturally unappropriate, right. I'm starting to kind of ask like, hmm. So well, that, um, yeah, go ahead. That's
1: the risk that you take in 1969 or 70, we had all read Autobiography of a Yogi and we are all, you know, had this romantic conception of the Eastern that's teaching. Right. And that's why we were so vulnerable to someone like Yogi Bhaja. That's right, that's right. We all this stuff onto him.
0: Exactly, and then the stories he would tell would link you back to the story in that particular book, and I've heard it with so many stories. Yeah, so I, I guess as an attempt to not fetishize the Sikh path... Um, but still take to the essence of like why mantra can be valuable. Right. It could be that mantra, but it could also be other mantras, right? It right. could be other sound currents that's creating. What is that called? It's something in language where the the way you pronounce the word is the sound that it's creating in your body. Fauna, um, anyway, it has to do with the ancientness of a language. I'll right. find this out. Anyway, I know that Amaric fills that same Thing right. And so I guess as right. a philosophy, what if we went further back to a more original language, right. or a more ancient language like Amaric, and what if you had similar vibrational experiences, right, then we don't have to keep only legitimizing Guru Mukhi. not that it's not beautiful choice, right. but it's just that it's a choice of the vastness of the universe, as opposed to the one where the mantras are so the excellent How about there's excellent mantras in in mystical Sufism. There's excellent mantras in mystical Judaism and Kabbalah. So there's all sorts of mystical versions of big time religions.
1: Well, I have to say, I'm not there. I'm not quite there yet. I mean, I know all that to be true, of course. But in terms of, um, you know, employing other mantras in what I'm offering, I'm not quite there yet but I, I see, I can see the possibility.
0: Thank you for your honesty. And I, yeah. I just think that's beautiful. And we don't yeah. have to be there, right? I'm just kind of posing it as a, this was happening for me because right. as I was teaching, I didn't wanna teach something that was Sikh based.
1: Right, right. I didn't
0: mind introducing it because it had a, it's beautiful, you know, and it might make right. you feel beautiful to chant it, but there could also be lots of lineages that are beautiful to chant. Um, and anyway, I would really appreciate the fact that you have a space where these types of things can go on, where you can say, I'm not really sure where I'm at with this. And another teacher can be like, I'm not really sure where I'm at with this. And so if you're a teacher out here struggling and you don't know what to do with the parts you like and the parts you're not sure about and all the things, this is a very wonderful place well, to be able I to- Well, I do have to, have to say, it.
1: when I was in 3HL, I used to adamantly declare there needs to be a separation of church and state, that Kundalini Yoga cannot- be just a funnel into Sikhism, but now since you know the, the the now knowing what we know now, I I personally feel that Sikhism beyond 3HO is a good frame of reference for people, so they have something to look to that's not 3HO, that's not Yogi Bhajan. You know that that it's serving a useful purpose now, and hopefully you know. But, but as I stated, that in itself is, can be problematic.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, there's, there can be lots of mystical aspects to any sort of world religion. And so find oftentimes the spiritual seeker is following more of the mysticism versus the rule of law of a religion. Right. So there's so much to be found when you dig into that well, I guess is what I want to say. When you find the mystical realm of any of these ancient teachings, you might find some gems there for you
1: is um i tell people it's not about the letter of the law it's about the spirit of the awe
0: yeah the spirit of the awe and that requires us to really um be located in our own bodies right and i think that's where i I find so many people aren't yet right because they haven't had 20 years of differentiating kundalini yoga from something else um And so that disassociation, I don't think one can really recognize they're disassociated if they've been a regular kundalini yoga, 3HO practicer, because I sure didn't know I was disassociated. I definitely thought I was aware and conscious.
1: Right. I mean, the way that people practice kundalini yoga and 3HO was not embodied.
0: Exactly. But think about how many people are now struggling with whether to practice kundalini yoga. And if they just jump right into the conversation that the, that it's, all wonderful it it's not for them their right. entanglement is quite different and so right. um anyway i just really appreciate you evolving having a space called evolving kundalini yoga and the willingness to just ask the uncomfortable conversation uncomfortable question of yourself and each other
1: Great. Right. well thank you
0: um tell us why you chose
1: this song are you with me yeah i'm not hearing it Oh no um, I
0: haven't played it yet I'm going to introduce it but okay. I'm going to I before I introduce the song I want to know why you I always ask guests to choose a song that represents
1: their Well episode. the name of the song is uh, The Revolution Starts Now by Steve Earle and really uh we are living in a revolution because we we must re- we must evolve and there cannot be a revo- there cannot be a revolution without a revolution of consciousness. And so what we're all involved in is trying to um, raise consciousness for ourselves and one another. And I just think it's a really cool song. Uh, talks about community, talks about us working together. To me, that's what's happening. So it's just, just a great song.
0: Yeah, beautiful. All right, and here we go. It is the the revolution starts. Now by Steve Earle.
1: I was walking up the street in the town I was born. I was moving to be that I never felt before. So I sweat open my eyes and I took a Sky. The revolution now. Yeah, the revolution now.
0: All right, folks. Well, for copywriting purposes, we don't play the whole song, um, but you can listen to the Uncomfortable Conversations playlist linked in the show notes to be able to hear all the episodes and the unique playlist we created from the web of the uncomfortable conversations. This has been an awesome conversation, Ravi. I want to say, thank you so much. Um, On the the heels of this book that uh, Alice Koonin and and myself um, just published, it's called under the yoga mat, the dark history of Yogi Bhajan's Kundalini yoga. And um, what I want to point out about this material is that there's nothing new in it. It's actually not a body of work that her or I created. It's actually survivor stories and pub, uh, information that has been in the public domain since the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. A lot of the things that were covered here on this conversation are in the book in the sense that um, else took her science and research background and basically collated and organized a bunch of content that has always been in public. That for whatever reason, because of our indoctrination, because of our training, or just because of our wanting to move on, we choose not to look at. We choose not to look at the timeline of events that have always been in place. And that's what I think is so good about this work, is it's quoting conversations from this podcast that you may or may not have listened to, because not everybody listens to three-hour podcasts. Um, Not everybody has gone and looked at the lawsuits from 1985, or the Time Magazine article that was in 1977, or has connected with teachers like Ravi Singh, who has been evolving this conversation far longer than many, but in secret places because people that were in 3HO weren't paying attention. They weren't secret, they were public. But 3HO wasn't paying attention because that's how the indoctrination works. So I just want to let everyone know that book is really for you to help other people understand the gravity of the darkness that this yoga of awareness holds behind it. It's not to convince you not to teach kundalini yoga. That is not the point. In fact, it's really for those people that are struggling to reconcile all of the yummy bits that brought us into community drinking yogi tea together together that love this practice genuinely from our heart and reconciling the very, very dark, real history that has happened in plain sight. And those aren't easy things to reconcile. And so when you have a book that has it all, um, it doesn't mean you read it, but it doesn't mean how do you start the conversation where somebody else gets to get it? Because there's so much material out there you don't even know where to begin. Like, do you have them listen to that podcast or watch that video or read that article? Or it's just too much. And so suddenly it's all in one book, the Philip DeSlip articles, all of the people who've been creating content for the last 50 plus years on this stuff in this book. So that everybody's referenced, so that the whistleblowers blowers are spoken to. And so that you can make a decision on your own with your own critical thinking and with your own heart and your own body as to whether or not you can evolve kundalini for yourself in your life and in what that means for you. So I can't encourage you enough to get that work or get the book and also to help your students because it really, I personally think we all have to make the choice to teach or not teach in the way that works for us in our own soul's path. And I personally think we all have to look at the real history in order to do that properly. So thank you for listening. Um, As always, I appreciate you um, signing up for this podcast at whatever podcast location you listen to your podcasts. And... Until then, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, please email me at gn at And you can follow my work at gurunishan.com. This concludes another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to make a contribution to this podcast, please head on over to my website at gurunishan.com or look in the show notes for a link. Thanks so much, Ravi Singh. Appreciate Thank your time. You. And we'll talk soon.